Hi, everybody. Welcome back to LA Not So Confidential. This is Dr. Scott. I'm here with my bestie. That's me, Dr. Shiloh. Hello. We're glad to be back. It's the wonderful, wonderful, most time, most wonderful time of the year. It's <laughs> right. fall, and yes. it's getting close to being uh, Halloween, which we love. Right. We're kind of starting to wear sweatshirts and stuff like that in the morning and afternoon here. Yeah. It's still super hot during the day. Exactly. But it's you got uh, the corporate air conditioning to throw your wrap around you during the day. Last night, I was texting with Rebecca from Yellow Tape True Crime and um, Dialogue because she's coming out here this weekend. And she's like, what do I pack? And so I sent her a screenshot. I was out at CVS and I'm in flip flops and sweats. I'm like, this is how we roll. <laughs> I don't know what to tell Wait, you. I'm just going to confuse in, you. In that outfit, you're totally ready to go to the opera. If you live in L.A., you can you can oh, go to the I most know. posh event and people will show up in juicy sweatpants. It's like or ridiculous. Walmart yeah. in the middle of the night. It could be anything. Yeah. So this week, well, what was I? Oh, a couple of things. Yeah. We wanted to thank everybody for the unbelievable support that we got from our fans, from our listeners, and putting up reviews on iTunes. You guys blow me away. You absolutely blow me away. We now have a higher ranking with True Crime Podcasts than we did last time. Yeah. Thank I mean, you so not much. only did you knock us back on the 200 top list, you knocked us even higher than we were. You guys are awesome. They were really meaningful and really cool. Um, people put a lot Thoughtful. of thought into them. They really did. We it was just, that. it was really great. The and feedback is great. And yeah, we like the feedback. And we even like, uh, you know, constructive feedback. We got a two star review. And yep. I, yeah, I'm surprised it wasn't a one. It is a dissertation of a review. So go read it. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't I don't really get where some of the stuff comes from. The only thing that I would say is that there was a comment about reading from the DSM. And, you know, yeah, I'm guilty as charged. It's, yeah, it's our Bible. That's right. what we work from. Uh, and we're constantly, of course, we're going to read from it. Yeah. that Each time that we've done that, I think it's been very purposeful. Um in talking about whatever diagnosis it is that we want to get it exact because it lends to whatever we're speaking about in the rest of the episode and giving examples and maybe what some criteria are. So it's, it, it is very exact. I mean, we're bringing in the book and reading, literally reading from it. Yeah. And um, one of the things about so. the DSM is that unlike many other textbooks or technical manuals within the medical and mental health field, the DSM actually can be understood by the layman. Right. It's that's the way it's designed to be to be read and understood. And so anyway, we, we use it and sometimes it's best just going with the most basic stuff so you don't screw it up. Exactly. So um, we're talking about a subject this week that comes up pretty regularly and is is in the zeitgeist right now because of a summer movie, a fall movie, and then another movie. And it's basically we're talking about clowns. Yeah, the fear of. Fear of clowns, the the reasoning behind the fear of clowns, a little bit on the history of clowns. And then I was able to find some unfucking believable research on clowns and, and creepiness, which right. who knew? I did, right. had not gone quite in this area, but we're going to explore that. So can I tell a story about how we got – this topic. How did we wait? You know what? I don't even know how we got this topic. So you this, just suggested it. What happened? This came in from a listener. Her name is Megan. And hey, Megan. She sent us an email. Um, the backstory of how Megan became a listener is better than how we got this topic. So I just wanted to tell that real quick. But Megan is a badass fingerprint examiner. 
um, for a law enforcement agency here in California. Cool. And she's up in Northern California. My dad, as you know, lives up in Northern California as well. And my father being a former law enforcement officer himself, whenever there is a law enforcement funeral up in his area, he likes to go and go to the memorial or the funeral as being part of that community, although now retired. So my dad, two things. He's going to always be super early to things. And if there's somebody with ears there, he will be talking to them. Literally the friendliest, chattiest guy. And he doesn't talk about like just bullshit. I mean, like he's just generally interested in everybody. It's really, really great. He's one of the most emotionally intelligent men that I know. Yeah. And he just is very interested in other people. We should people. ask your mom about that. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> That's a conversation. Um, yeah, they've been divorced for 38 years. <laughs> um, so my dad goes to this memorial for this officer that was killed in the line of duty and um, ends up sitting next to this woman. And so they're chatting and kind of talking about what they do. And eventually at some point he pitches our podcast and says, oh, Oh, I think you would really like my daughter's podcast. It's about true crime and forensic psychology. And sure enough, we get an email from her, um, gosh, maybe a week or so later saying, hey, I just wanted to reach out to Dr. Shiloh and let her know I met her dad and he was lovely and I'm listening to the podcast and I love it. So um, we've had a lot of back and forth with Megan. I sent her a T-shirt for suggesting this topic because I thought it was such a good idea to talk about the fear of clowns and and all of that for our Halloween episode because we like to do something a little bit special during Halloween. So that's pretty cool. I'm excited to get yeah, it's stuff a, it's from actually a, a great listener. topic. It's a great topic yeah. because we just we found a lot more stuff than than I was expecting to. Um, so we kind of are going to cover a, a wide spectrum here uh, on the subject, and to give a little bit of historic background for me being sort of um, having an opinion about this subject, which is pretty common with most people. I'm not like a huge fan of clowns. And it wasn't until I started researching this and reading about it, I kind of figured out why Mm. I have this reaction, which I'm going to share with you. But my partner, my husband and I have this thing called The List. Oh, yeah. And we've talked, we may, have we talked about The List on the podcast? I don't know. So but anyway, let's and Dan recap. And I, Dan and I have been together for, for decades. And I remember us kind of like watching TV one time. And there was like a professional stilt walker like on some show. And it was really weird. And it, I don't know. And I said, oh, God, that's on the list. And he's like, what do you, what do you mean, the list? And I said, well, there's just a list of particular types of people and sort of tangential, odd, eccentric areas of entertainment where people who do that, they have a certain eccentricity to their personality right. that can make you really uncomfortable. And, and of course, the list is very broad. And oh, like it's it, grown. I've yeah. added to it a couple of things. Oh, we've, we've both added to it. And like, one, like magicians, because I've done magician shows. I did ma- right. magic shows and card casinos in Carson, California, mm-hmm. you know, and had to dance on that fucking magician's... <laughs> Parrot bird shit on its stage. And Isn't is aren't like 
people who work with birds. Bird people, yeah. Definitely. Which on the list now too. I feel bad about because I realize like I'm reading all this research on how incredibly intelligent birds are. Right. But mm, I don't know. But yeah. anyway, so clowns. <laughs> clowns are, are definitely on the list. Right. They are on the list. Right. So um, in sort of prepping for this, I interviewed someone that I thought kind of was important to hear from about the creepiness of clowns, who's my daughter. Right. And she's seven. And I got to thinking one day, she's only seven. I wonder why she thinks clowns are creepy. Because she does. And she tells me that. So you didn't give her any prep before this? None. Okay. None. So I decided to ask her about clowns. And we're going to play that clip for you now. Cool. So this is Dr. Shiloh. I am here with my daughter, Sydney. And I wanted to talk to her about why she thinks clowns are creepy and scary and ask her about her experiences with clowns. So, Sydney, can you tell me why you find clowns scary? Well, I find clowns scary because they have really big smiles and they have a lot of makeup on and some clowns have big eyes and... I don't really like how, like, clowns mess around sometimes, and, like, it makes me scared for some reasons, and just because they have really big smiles, and they can sometimes be creepy in a lot of movies. Okay, that makes sense. Can you tell me a little bit about the history of clowns as you understand it? Yeah, so... Back when kings and queens were still there, even though there still is a queen in sure. London, or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. so clowns would be like, they would m- do silly things for the king and mess around, but if they made the king mad, they would get killed. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like a court jester. Yeah. Okay. So... Then, like, let's say a next century, like, in Victorian times, clowns would be doing silly things, swallowing stuff whole, I guess. And at the end of the show, they would throw candy for kids. And then, so that one was actually not that scary. And that would take place where, like, outside in a courtyard or something? Yeah. Okay. And... They'd, like, have masses instead of, like, masks. I don't know how to say the plural mass, but... That's okay. Um, so they wear masks, and they would, like, put it on instead of wearing makeup because that's hard to get to clean off. Sure. And so, so um, the next one to clowns like being silly in a circus for kids. And if you want to know why clowns wear makeup that's, like, crazy and everything, it's so you could see, like, their face from far away. It's not, like, to be scary or anything. So it's Mm over-exaggerated so people could see it if they're sitting far away at the circus. Yeah. That makes sense. And then now sometimes clowns are scary because the makeup is big, and they realized it's scary for people if you look up close. That totally makes so sense. So they made it scary in movies and stuff. Okay. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on LA Not So Confidential. We appreciate it. You're welcome. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, first, she has an amazing voice. We should get her on. She should have her own podcast. She's going to take my job. She's got a great little voice. I, I, and how interesting with no prep that she immediately comes up that it, it's uncomfortable. Right. She can't. She doesn't really have the vocabulary. I think exactly to describe it. But you can really get that she's, where she's coming from. And I think it's it's gonna make a lot of sense as you kind of talk about what you discovered in right. the research. It, it's exactly what she's saying and articulating. And I love that she gave us a little history on <laughs> clowns as well. She needed to throw that in there. Little smarty pants, but yeah. Um, but yeah, what what she's saying is exactly what we found in the research. So, just a a fun little piece to throw in there. Yeah. So we pulled from a lot of different areas of research, and of course, we're going to put our show notes up. And if you're interested in pursuing any of this, there are two things that we're going to have connections to. There's an actual research paper that is fascinating and well-written. And there's also a Smithsonian Magazine article that is just really, really great. And the title of the article is uh, The History and Psychology of Clowns Being Scary. Is that the journal article? No, that's from Smithsonian Magazine. The other, the journal magazine is about about creepiness. So we're kind of doing the, the crossover here. Gotcha. So what's interesting about how about the the this sort of uh the term that we use is it's not a phobia but it's a fear that's isn't it lumped in the dsm under childhood fears chlorophobia is it chlorophobia i didn't know if it was yes here it is right here in there so it's it's lumped under it's in the dsm but it's under childhood anxiety disorders and fears okay and it it's but it it's not just clowns it's any kind of masked character or costumed character masked creatures exactly so it could go along with people who are phobic of furries and fuzzies as well (laughs) as we've talked about in our paraphilia episode so you know, uh, you're not alone. Uh, there is more of a negative connotation with clowns in recent years because the storyline has been changed. And there's actually an interesting cultural and sociological phenomenon related to why it has moved from this sort of, you know, happy, entertaining buffoon into this sort of ominous and threatening character. So the history, like Sydney was saying, is that jesters and clowns in ancient times provided a very important part of the governmental and ruling structure and monarchies because the fool or the jester was really the only one that was allowed to make fun of the ruling government. And then that was super enhanced by Shakespeare's writing because in Shakespeare's dramas and comedies, the only one who knew what the fuck was going on was the clown, the fool. So the the one idiot in the play is actually the one who is aware of what is actually happening. So that's kind of a really cool, really you know, omniscient, prescient type of character that now has morphed into this really frightening aspect. But um, so, like I said, historically, they've been jesters and they've been a vehicle, uh, quote unquote, for poking fun and um, providing satire on powerful people. Anyway, uh, there's history of this going back as far as ancient Egypt. Um, Shakespeare was one of the first ones to use the word clown. Um, 
Now, one thing that's really important that will play a part in our understanding how clowns shifted into creepy is we have to kind of understand how theater was performed and perceived by audiences in pre-modern times. So if we go back to the ancient Greeks, if you look at the amphitheaters, like if you look at pictures of ancient of Greece and going to the ruins, you see these amphitheaters and it's right. kind of really cool. And you think, oh, they sat here and they watched these plays. How do you think the sound was was projected from the way the amphitheater was formed absolutely so the amphitheater was formed to to enhance sound right but visually visually but that's not all that was done what else was done was that most of the time in greek tragedy and comedy they wore masks that would project sound yes they had megaphones built into them so they were shouting basically and then it was a little you know it was enhanced by that so as theaters became enclosed over the years and women were not allowed to play men's roles. So usually the only time that makeup was used was when there were uh, a female character. So in the advent of circuses, you had clowns and the development like in, in certain areas of like uh, French theater and English theater, you had these classic characters like Pierrot and Pierrette and they were white-faced with uh, black markings and, and red cheeks, and they would pantomime these, you know, sort of standard dramas over and over, and it was usually without sound. But then as the clown started developing into a comedic buffoon-type character, the makeup got a little more stylized into four different types of clowns. There was going to be the person who was the mischievous clown, and there was going to be the clown that got beaten up by the mischievous clown basically you know if there was a, a medieval pie that the was victim was clown happen. and the perpetrator exactly clown. exactly and there were a couple of others as well but here's where it gets interesting is as it moved into the era of large circuses it went from one ring into three rings with massive audiences they realized that the performers, the clowns, in order to be seen by the blow, the blows, by the nosebleed seats, <laughs> right. they had to wear more makeup and they had to make the features really exaggerated. So now you're seeing huge lips, huge rouge, rouged cheeks, huge eye makeup. And specific and, to whatever character they're playing, whether it's a smile or exactly. downturn. <laughs> Excuse me, downturned frown or something. And even more exaggerated uh, actions and yeah. and gestures and big so, shoes and huge shoes, <laughs> which are apparently very expensive. You I did some research means. on that too. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, they're like fifteen hundred dollars a pair. Oh my god! But so what happened was is as they as their actions and their gesticulations, as their gestures got bigger and their makeup got bigger, suddenly they weren't so funny and entertaining anymore. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, if you go to Vegas and you see. Any of the Cirque du Soleil shows like O oh, or um, Love, right? Those clowns are are way different. Like it's oh, yeah. it's all like really amazing kind of physical comedy, and there's a little bit of makeup, but it's not like this John Wayne Gacy type right. clown. Which, right. by the way, his makeup is terrifying. I know. I, I get it was the early to late seventies, but come on, yeah. Like awful. who's gonna let that person in their Just house? Awful. So when we talk about like some of the negative connotations that clowns have, you know, there was a phenomenon back in the mid 90s that started in 
going across the country, which was sort of whatever your city represented would be represented in, they would generate like fiberglass statues of it. So LA is the city of angels. Okay, right, So right, right. all like probably 75 to 100 different artists all got a fiberglass angel and right. they decorated it. And there's like a tourist angel and there's a... We have one in my city, in, in my post office in the city I live in. What's it decorated as? Our city, like different things about orange groves and things oh, like that cool. where okay. I live. So they did that. And then like, in you know, someplace in Iowa, there's, you know, it's all giant uh, ears of corn. Right. Well, in Sarasota, Florida in 2006, which is where all the circuses go during the winter. Fucking Florida. It was clown statues. No. And people hated them so much. They broke them, defaced them, destroyed them. They couldn't keep them. They couldn't replace them because people had such a negative connotation. I mean, it is Florida, but come on. Well, yeah, I know. Wow. I just thought that was so interesting. They also had... Come According on, pick to an the, alligator or something. I know, I know. Or is it crocodile? No, it's alligator, right? <laughs> Which ones are in Florida? Uh, alligator. <laughs> you made me think. You're from the south. Come on. Uh, and then the, what is it? One of the things that they assume is that like, oh, kids are going to be fans of clowns. Now, that was what I was going to say is that my clown stuff comes from one of the Christmas presents I got as a kid was a puzzle of the clown Emmett Kelly, which is the sad clown. Oh, and he's just like, it's the most depressed clown. And I remember like looking at the picture of the box and it was like in this super hyper detailed photograph of like the layers of grease paint and Ooh. his terrible skin underneath and like his this, pores. Yeah, this pores and like this kind of stuff oozing from his eyes. I just remember going, I don't want to put this puzzle together. Thank you. Grandma. And then I had. And I had a dentist office that had ceramic clowns all over it. Oh, God. Yeah, it was gross. So, um, kids don't generally react, react well to clowns. Um, and it's probably because of the exaggerated expressions and the exaggerated yeah. gestures and the makeup. And that is because of – there. well, there's a couple of different theories about it. One – uh, Dr. Rami Nader, who is a Canadian psychologist, and she studies chlorophobia, which is what they consider to be the irrational fear of clowns, even though it's not listed in the DSM as a specific diagnosis. She feels her theory is that what is disturbing is that you as an observer of a clown are disturbed because you can't tell what they're actually feeling Mm -hmm. or what they're actually expressing because the physical structure of their face may not be congruent with the makeup that is drawing. So there's a person under there and we get enough of those features, but then it might be conflicting with the makeup. We don't don't know what to make of that. Right. I don't buy it. I okay. mean, I think it's interesting. Um, yeah. And certainly this is somebody who's done more research than I have in this area. But what I have done research in, which I find really fascinating, is called Uncanny Valley. Yes. And Uncanny Valley is something that everyone, whether you know the name of it, you are familiar with it. You are familiar with um, this phenomenon because it is when something is very close to looking humanistic, 
but it's just off enough to make you really kind of feel uncomfortable and feel it in the pit of your stomach. Right. And some of them are like the hyper-realistic cut scenes from video games. Yeah, that, or like the Final Fantasy movie. Yeah. Things like that where it obvious – and even when it's depicted after a real actor that you know yeah. and they're voicing the character – there is something really weird about that. Remember Polar Express? Yes. That was the one with Tom Hanks. And it was like, nobody liked it. They were like, oh, this is so creepy looking. Even though the mannerisms were there and it kind of looked like him. And it was, that was really odd. That's a good example. And the reason, so the uncanny valley is that, um, the reason they use the term valley is that it is the region of negative emotional response. So, and the theory is that all of this comes from a biological imperative or an evolutionary tendency to be repulsed or grossed out by something that looks um, that looks unhealthy or it looks sick or mm. it just doesn't look right. So basically, this could all be stemming from our innate sense that this is unhealthy. Right. I might not, it might make me sick. It might kill me or I can't reproduce with it. So, I mean, which is a survival skill. I mean, it's sure. built into our genetics. Sure. Um, which I just or feel. This is, this is a mutation of some sort. I don't want to keep procreating with that. Right. So just don't fuck any clowns. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry. Done. Done. Okay. There we go. Um, and it's coming up a lot now with uh, the humanoid type robots. I mean, right. they're getting better and better, but there are some that are, I mean, you can go online on YouTube and look at some of the ones from 10 years ago, and it's like a horror movie. They're so disturbing to me. But I think as it gets closer, that's really the, the sweet spot of it being creepy. Yes, absolutely. Right? So because it's it, so it's, robotic. Because it's opposite if it's a, if it's a cute robot. That is like clearly not trying to look human. People don't have a problem with it. Gotcha. But the closer okay. it gets to looking human is when it gets really disturbing. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yes, so I think it that is. I really think that that's the reason why it's not necessarily completely different from what um, uh, Doctor. Oh, what's her name? What's her name? What Doctor Nader? It's not different necessarily completely different. True. I agree. I agree. Did you find anything that – because I wondered and and just in talking to my own kid about now and especially with these generations, is it because she is seeing the modeling from me because I've grown up with the movies of the 80s that we'll probably talk about, John Wayne Gacy, things like that where I'm like, okay, there are reasons I'm creeped out by it. Um, and she's just picking up on that from now our generation that just now realizes clowns are creepy. So I'm shaping her behavior to think that. I, I, I can't imagine that it wouldn't have some kind of bearing right. on it. You but know, then also – so nature, nurture, there's yeah. something about being um, creeped out just by the sensory piece of it. But then also maybe because your parents are like, oh, clowns. Yeah, I mean, there's the channel. in doing some of the research, one of the things they were talking to clowns, uh, professional clowns, and one of them is a guy that bills himself as a non-makeup clown. So he has like a costume and it's it's funny. I mean, it's like a whole set of characters he does with like physical pratfalls and jokes and balloon animals and stuff. But he's like, hey, I don't don't wear the makeup. And apparently that makes all the difference for kids parties oh, wow. and for the parents that are hiring him. Cause oh, I think I the parents are creeped out as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder 
how many clowns are really getting hired for parties these days. I don't know. I mean, it's and they've got to be all Spider Men and Elsas, right? Right, right. Which is, but it's interesting because up until you know twenty years ago, clowns were still like a major branding uh, emblem. I mean, Ronald McDonald. I mean, Ronald yeah. McDonald has been taken off so much of the branding for McDonald's. True. Um, so there was. Um, Clarabelle the Clown, who was on the Howdy Doody show, which is, you know, sort of my generation more than anybody else's. But then Bozo. And I remember seeing Bozo and just being, like, completely creeped out by Bozo with that huge, like, fringe of hair that stuck out. It was gross. Anyway. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's other research that's confounding, too, because they have found in uh, 2013 in the issue of um, health psychology, a research was done in an Italian hospital that showed that uh, with well-trained clowns, uh, pre-operative anxiety in children went down. But they didn't describe, like, what it meant. I mean, I don't know, like, was there less makeup? Was it a certain kind? Was it just – was it joking? Was it throwing pies on sick kids? I don't know. Right, yeah. Was it just distracting them long enough to not think about – the surgery. Right. Yeah. But now we get into like the real meat of what I was able to find, which is just fascinating. I'm like a huge fan of somebody I just discovered, Dr. Francis T. McAndrew. And he and an undergrad student at the time, um, uh, Ms. Sarah Koenigke, uh they wrote an article in uh, a social and psychological uh, journal and it's called On the Nature of Creepiness, because I think that's what we're talking about is yep. how people get so creeped out Love by it. clowns. So I did what most anybody does. Like I've got an access to what we call EBSCOhost, which gives me a whole bunch of academic journals. I get it through uh, like a professional organization, but it doesn't give me all of them. So the greatest thing we all know now, because I learned this from an academic meme, I didn't know it until a year ago, is that you just contact the author. Yeah. Like, hey, dude, I want to read your paper. Can right. you send me a copy? Got it today. See? Like that psychiatrist I, I reached out to. Exactly. Just gave me everything. So I've been emailing him back and forth. He's fantastic. Um, he So Frank McAndrew is an American social psychologist, um, and he is the professor of psychology at Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois. Um, he founded the Environmental Studies Program, and he chaired the psychology department for over a decade. He has been twice honored with the Philip Green Wright Lombard College Prize for Distinguished Teaching. And he is very proud of the fact that more than 100 of his former students have completed a doctoral degree in psychology or a closely related field. Cool. And he wrote that himself on his website, which I think is really awesome. That's great. That's really, really supportive and cool. It is. Um, I will say this, Frank, and I hope you'll write me back after I say this. Don't use Comic Sans font on your website. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Comic Sans is out. Got to get you just just switch the font, dude. But – he and Sarah or Miss Koenigke did really a great job because they talk about that creepiness. So like for one thing, n- creepiness is just this word gets that gets thrown around. Right. But what how do does we it define mean? It? Yeah. How do you quantify it? Right. You don't. It's a feeling. <laughs> right. So that's what they're doing is like, hey, we got it kind of in, like before we got uh, schooled on uh, Stockholm syndrome. Sure. You know, we were thinking, hey, nobody's really looking at this. And we realized, oh, people have started looking at it. Well, this is what he did. And funnily enough, when it, in our email exchanges, he said, 
for the last six years, every Halloween now, people are coming to him because the creepiness article does talk about clowns. Oh, gotcha. And he, he boiled this paper down and published it a couple of times in Psychology Today. Oh, okay. Which – and Psychology Today has a wide range of quality of articles. This was one of the ones that was really great. But he talks about creepiness being a form of anxiety that – stems from or arises out of our ambiguity of whether there is something that we fear or don't fear in a situation or an individual. So it's not clear whether or not we are in a situation where we're under a threat, right? So what are some things in movies that creep you out? Like for me, it's... um like in the grudge when they're moving in really weird shifty oh like the turkey like movements their bodies are not moving like a normal gait right it's not fluid yeah. it's really jerky and there's some kind of contortion to the body yeah. or um like walking backwards or crawling backwards or some of that when humans do sort of creepy crawly things that freaks me out that's super creepy to me that that doesn't have so much an effect on me um, mainly because my former boss, Allison Jones, was so creeped out by the ring right. that I practiced doing that walk and I would walk backwards into her office. You're a terrible doing, person. Oh, she would like scream at me. I love you, Allison. We're the second podcast to uh, reference Allison Jones this week, by the way. Really? Oh, I've been listening the to Office, office started, ladies. Oh, my gosh. Which is a phenomenal idea and yep. how, how charming they must be. Love I haven't them. had a chance to listen to it yet. But yeah, Allison's great. Um, Sorry. What, okay. what creeps you out? Oh, what creeps me out? <laughs> you know what creeps me out is distorted mouths and eyes. Oh, like mouths sewn shut and like. Or like I'm trying to think there was one scene and it was cut. I remember when I was working on the the um, DVD extras for Lord of the Rings. There is a scene in the final movie with a character called the Mouth of Sauron. And he is like this sort of human that has been completely contaminated by being a demon for so long that he's just this warped mass of a person. So he comes out on this horse in this iron armor. And what they did to make it look weird was they took his mouth and instead of horizontal, they made his mouth vertical. And it didn't quite work. And it didn't quite work because it was so disturbing. It They're sounds like, kind of dumb, but I imagine it being Oh, disturbing. it was just, oh, it was awful. Yeah, so that's... Mouths and eyes. Yeah, mouths and eyes being all weirded out is yeah. gross. So uh, back to evolutionary psychology, which is this is what this is about, is that you know there is a term that's used called agency detection, which is sort of this built-in mechanism, which interestingly enough is really what Gavin DeBecker's Right. Stuff is all about, yeah, right? About like about keeping yourself safe. And stalking. So, you know, the feeling of being creeped out, it's unpleasant. Um, but here's the thing. Part of the unspoken social contract of living in the modern world is that you don't just turn and run away from individuals that are acting in a certain way. Now, maybe less so now than in, in, than in the past because we've talked about that in, in the most recent episode about right. like sort of – the homogenization of society and how we don't really accept eccentric people mm -hmm. as easily as we used to. But this is one of those times where we go back to that idea of ambiguity. Like I 
don't know how I'm supposed to act in this situation. Is this person being funny? Right. Or are they threatening me? So being creeped out is like, ha, huh, I don't really like that's know a how little girl, this. which I'm I shouldn't be scared or threatened by a little girl, but she sort of looks strange and so that makes it creepy. Again, it's sort of those conflicting things that are happening. Yeah, and you know what I just thought of is the two zombie girls. There's one in the first episode of Walking Dead. Oh, that's the best. And in the Day of the Dead, the remake with Sarah Polly. Uh-huh. That the little girl neighbor that do you remember I that don't from remember like that. it's one of the first scenes in the movie. Fucking terrifying. Oh. Terrifying. More than that was but that's not creepy. That's just terrifying. Yeah. So um interestingly enough, what he does in this research paper is that he points out that when you're in this space of ambiguity, it could be perilous to ignore your intuition, right? So if you stay in that interaction, you could be placing yourself in danger. And what happens, though, is that you're generating or what is being generated is a freeze moment. So fight, flight, freeze. Right. Except that it's not like an overtly clear situation where you're in danger, but you're still freezing because it's all these dysregulated uh, emotions are hitting you at once. Well, and if you just think about when you're creeped out, I kind of think of my body language. Like I kind of, my shoulders come up. Yeah. I sort of like get stiff and freeze. Or we get a big, we get a big uncomfortable smile with like really scared eyes. You know, that's, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Giggle there. So what he was trying to do is he tried to generate some um, hypotheses to build on. And what they were able to nail down is that uh, if creepiness uh, communicates potential threat, then males should be more likely to be perceived as as creepy than females because males are – more violent and they're more physically threatening to more people. And that's based on previous research by McAndrews back in 2009. So, and then related to that first prediction, females should be more likely than males to perceive some sort of sexual threat from a creepy person. Right. Which makes sense. That's a good hypothesis. Uh, Third, occupations that signal a fascination with threatening stimuli like um, death or non-normative sex, so paraphilic or fetishistic sex, may attract individuals that would be comfortable in such a work environment. So some occupations would be perceived as more creepy than other occupations. So it sure. could be sex workers might be creepy. That I, The idea of that might creep some people out. Being a mortician yeah. might right. um, creep some people out. Or, you know, being someone who does like a a nephrologist who does, you know, does um, autopsies mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. would be considered to be a creepy job. Right. Uh, and then the last one is that they say that they hypothesize that creepiness is a function of uncertainty about threat, non-normative verbal behavior, and actions or characteristics associated with unpredictability. So the thing that I come back to, which another I'm always referring to SNL is when Julia Sweeney used to do the character Pat, right. which is completely inappropriate in today's sure. environment because that person was non-gender conforming, right. and we were using it as a sense, you know, as a 
a point of humor, which sure. is completely inappropriate. But if we want to take a step back and look at it and and look at how uncomfortable people were because they couldn't figure out how to act in a certain situation. Yeah, it's definitely a, an example of the times yeah. and what makes us uncomfortable or creeped out. Right. So discomfort due to sort of inability to assess what someone's gender mm-hmm. or sexuality is versus... Well, it still happens. I mean, come on. It's not like it, no, there are people still, that unfortunately are still in that headspace. Right. And just, can't, you know, can't move past it. And right. feel like they have to, they, you know, they got it has to be a concrete, quantifiable yes. term. So, yes. Um, so oh, the other one was creepiness for hobbies. <laughs> like, oh, gosh. there are people that fall in that category that like, you know, it, it people perceiving other people as having uh, hobbies that don't fit the norm like Like taxidermy like taxidermy um or collecting insects or Mm -hmm. too much collecting you know it could be like you walk into a home and it's you know a little old lady that has you know a gazillion pepper shaker right or victorian dolls i mean Uh, that would creep me out so i when i was in i guess middle school um, I did some theater like around that time when I was doing dance and I had all of those like theater masks, the porcelain ones with the ribbons on the side. Like the Venetian. Yeah, the painted look, ones. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of my thing for a while. It's so interesting. Things. Well, now to think of, I mean, it, it, but it, it was but also I mean, at the time. It was kind of cool. I was a 12 year old right? kid. Come on. So collecting dolls, insect, reptiles, or body parts such as teeth, bones, fingernails is considered creepy. Well, yeah. fuck yeah, it is. Are you kidding me? <laughs> but the second most frequently creepy hob- mentioned creepy hobby is watching. So watching, following, or taking pictures of people, especially children, was thought to be creepy by many uh, participants in this study. And bird watchers were considered creepy by many as well, which... Okay, one is basically criminal <laughs> yeah i mean like how how would you lump those two in i mean i remember i know i think that bird watching has been used for comic effect right you know right. it's like oh it's a crazy old bird watcher and they're always yeah. like binoculars and they have all the gear on and everything and yet you know when i'm up in idlewild at the rented cabin and i'm like wait what kind of bird is that i mean i'm fascinated let me look at my it. book yeah <laughs> let me google that wait isn't there an app i could just take a picture of it it'll tell me so what they found in this study is that um, this is what they were able to nail down from testing. And they went through a lot of testing of these individuals and questionnaires, and it's all st- statistically verified in this paper. Creepiness is a response to the ambiguity of threat. Males are more physically threatening to people of both sexes than are females. Uh, males are more likely to be perceived as creepy by males and females alike. And the link made by females between perception of being sexually threatened and creepiness is consistent with females being simply at greater risk of sexual assault. Sure. And also the costs of that potential sexual assault are way much higher than it would be with males. Right. Um, So the other thing is we're placed on guard by people who um, use non-normative, non-verbal behavior, uh, people who touch us inappropriately. And, you know, sort of the idea of appropriate touch continues to change and evolve mm-hmm. very rapidly in today's world. Um, and then the collection bit. So going back 
to linking it back around is like I think we look at people in sort of non-traditional occupations, right? So we talked about morticians, we talked about sex workers, but we also, you know, we could also extend this to dancers. You know, I remember when I was working as a performer and looking back on it now, I didn't really get it as a young man at all, but looking back now on how badly female dancers were treated on set by the grips, by the directors. I mean, because I did a bunch of music videos. You mean stuff. like inappropriate Completely touching inappropriate. And, yeah. and like thinking that it just was like okay. like objects and props. Just because you use your body for a certain you're expression, right? right? Then you're less than. And it's sort of, there's a parallel between we judge people who are clowns and go into this particular field. And mm-hmm. then there's studies on people who are comedians and clowns. And it found that, you know, that there are, Some commonalities, people who work as comedians and clowns tend to be superior intelligence. Wow. Um, They feel misunderstood. They have a higher level of anxiety, suspiciousness, and depression, and a higher need for approval. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Many cases in the quantitative interviews, they were found to use humor as a defense against anxiety, which I can certainly relate to. And I was a class clown, and I'm still a class clown, so I I can relate to all of that. Some of the funniest people I ever worked with were the coroner investigators that would come out to scenes when oh, we had I'm a sure. dead body. Like, I got along with them so well. Their, their sense of humor was hilarious. I remember the first time I had my first dead body call. Um, I was on training. This guy had drank himself to death. He was naked on his bed, bleeding out of every hole in his body. Oh my God. It was disgusting. The The apartment looked like a murder scene. Um, and when the coroner finally got there, I was like, tell me everything you're doing. I want to know what you're doing. Show me, teach me. Like I, I was soaking it all up. And so my, he goes, well, okay, I've done just about everything, but we need to we really need to roll him over and just make sure there's not a knife sticking out of his back just to check. Um, and so he's like, help me roll him over. And he was a big guy. So my training officer is standing kind of in the corner of the room. And so the coroner and I take the guy's body, roll it over. And as it rolls over, the body lets out air. So basically this dead body farts. Oh, my God. We died laughing. We thought it was the funniest thing ever. My training officer, he just looks at us dead and he's like, you guys are terrible people and walked out. (laughs) And we just look at each other and shrug and just die laughing. Oh, my God. Die laughing. No pun intended. And on that note. Yeah. We're going to take a break. Yes, we are. In your research, did you find a time period where it sort of shifted to clowns being creepy? Yeah, the Smithsonian article was really great with the dates and sort of creating a timeline. And what they were able to find was that there was a literary critic um, in 1876, a French critic, Edmond de Goncourt. And he wrote, the clown's art is now rather terrifying and full of anxiety and apprehension. Their suicidal feats, their monstrous gesticulations and frenzied mimicry, reminding one of the courtyard of a lunatic asylum. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really interesting. So, But here's what's crazy. So it, it wasn't just recently that the creepy and dangerous clown, because – in 1892, less than 20 years later, there was an Italian opera, Pagliacci, which is the wor- Italian word for clown, and the main character, whose wife cheats on him, 
he murders his cheating wife on stage during a performance. So it's a huge okay. tragedy, but it's right. like a murderous clown back in 1892. Jeez. So that's all 100 years before... <laughs> it. <laughs> before I really became aware of anything being yeah. creepy, which, of course, you know, it's my lifetime. So just looking through that egocentric lens. Um so John Wayne Gacy was 1972 to 1978 right. that he was um, committing his crimes. Of course, not until he got caught did we put two and two together of why that was incredibly disturbing. So you have sort of the the mid-70s there, but then the 80s is really when we start – I don't want to say when we start seeing it in film, but really memorable – ones that we think of today right so the earliest was 1984 with poltergeist right um, that freaking clown that doll clown doll is it, it, when you really go back and watch it the doll is just so odd and big and giant hands like just when you talk about creepy yeah you know kind so of the proportions are off yeah it's not even this cute nice clown it's these these weird proportions um in just an overall terrifying film, um, but it—it's it, this doll. If you don't remember, or if you for some godforsaken reason have never seen Poltergeist, <laughs> um, so this doll is in the kids' room, and there's a couple of scenes where it's really creeping the kids out during the lightning storm, and they're you know trying to throw a jacket on its face to keep from looking right. at it in the middle of the night. Because the lightning keeps lighting up the room, and the poor kid just keeps looking at it, and he's terrified. Right. Yeah. As any kid would be. I mean, we can all relate to a scene like that. But hopefully your parents aren't sticking a clown at the foot of your bed to stare at you hopefully. all night. But, um, but yeah, there, so the scene I really remember is when everything, including Carol Ann, gets sucked into the closet. Yeah. Is that the clown gets sucked in too, and then when her parents are kind of finally pulling all the stuff out and trying to get to her, they just see a body up against the wall with a sheet over, and they think it's Carol Ann dead. Oh, right. And they pull the sheet off, and it's this. It's the clown doll that was wearing like a little jester's hat with jingle bells on it, right? Right. And there's different points in the movie where you kind of hear can hear jingle bells going, (laughs) or that it's 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 panning the room and it has changed position. Right. Um, The during the tree attack scene with the boy, when they pan to Carol Ann, the clown is now in bed with her. Oh, I don't remember that at all. Sitting in bed with her at that point, um, but then more towards the end, actually, I think it's when they're like their last night at the house. The clown attacks um, the boy. Robbie is yeah. the son, um, and its arm kind of grows long like a snake and coils around his neck and drags him yeah. under the bed. Um, so that that was terrifying because it has directly to do with children, right? Um, and then in 1986, along comes it. Um, which also has to do with, you know, murder and eating children Which by a clown. You, and I was always a huge Stephen King fan as a kid. I mean, I just loved it. Oh, yeah. it, it was like, I remember reading it going, mm, the sex scene is weird. I mean, I was like a youngish guy yeah. going, mm, this, yeah. is, this is odd. But the whole story was, was terrifying. And then watching the miniseries back then, I mean, it was groundbreaking for its time. Let me tell you. 
none of it holds up except for Tim Curry's performance. I think Tim Curry's performance is is uncanny valley creepy in a completely different way yes. because he's saying all of these sweet things and warm and oh we want to play we want to play and there's always this undertone of danger. I mean that speaks to what a great actor he is. Oh yeah. You know, which and no no disrespect to Sarsgaard, it's the younger Sarsgaard that right. plays him. Right. It's just a different it's a different Pennywise. Oh, but sure. the 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 acting from the other actors and the direction is so bad is in the it? first movie. God, it's I unwatchable. It. I tried watching it on Sci-Fi last month, but Tim Curry The miniseries. Yeah, the miniseries, yeah. but Tim, Tim Curry is just amazing. Yeah, he is. Have you seen the new it part 2? No, I just saw part one. Me either. Um, and then my personal favorite, 1988, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Really? I couldn't watch it. My sister and I watched that over and over as 10, 11, 12-year-olds okay. and thought it was so hilarious. Oh, okay. You know, sort of a little creepy in a, in a sense. I went back and watched it recently because this year at Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios, one of the, the mazes was killer clowns from outer space so i had to go back and watch right to get all the references that were in there um first of all it's one of the greatest titles for a movie of all true it's so (laughs) schlocky completely schlocky but these aliens who look like clowns come to earth and disguise themselves as clowns even though they're creepy as fuck but disguise themselves as clowns thinking that that will make it more likable to have the humans come to them Um, and isn't their ship like a big Circus, circus tent. tent yeah and yeah. like it looks like their weapon their weapons are big and cartoony They're and big lo- cartoony guns and they shoot either popcorn which turns into little man-eating clowns or it shoots cotton candy which <laughs> cocoons people and they hang them from the ceiling in these big pink cocoons <laughs> like so cotton gross. candy yeah so in the maze at universal studios you're like going through a room bumping into these cocoons that have like dead faces on them how cool it was awesome that's it was cool. very nostalgic. It's totally my childhood. Um, so those those were really the ones of the 80s, I think, more recently. Um, very notable, beyond creepy, is American Horror Story Freak oh, Show. Oh, twisty. That clown. That clown is, is the scariest thing ever. Terribly frightening. But also, you know, and I have mixed feelings about Ryan Murphy, as everyone that in my <laughs> orbit well knows. But one of the things that I found really interesting is that, you know, he's played as a psychopath, obviously, but you kind of see how he got there. Right. You know, his backstory backstory is that he was just not, you know, he's kind of uh, simple minded, I guess would be the word back then. And very, you know, lower intelligence. And, you know, he gets horribly mutilated. Oh, it's this horrible mutilation. Yeah, yeah, and then has that fake painted smile on. Is just all of it is yeah. works really well. And wasn't that one of the mazes when we went yeah, to Halloween Horror Nights yeah. a couple years ago together? So we had to run into that clown in, in some of those haunted houses. Um, and then obviously um, of the fall is the new Joker movie. Um, so it. This was interesting. We talked with uh, Nama Cates on Incel a little bit about this. Um, and I, I do not want to harp on any of the Incel stuff too much. Um, but I think it's it's an excellent movie. Um, just shot beautifully, done so well. He is 
incredible. I mean, he's a little crazy, probably, <laughs> in real life. But you know what? Good for him. I mean, I've, I've heard that the, the take on the story is uh, it's, it's original. Mm-hmm. And I am relieved that it's not a dog whistle to incels because that would have been really right. badly done. And, you know, maybe, you know, this is our society's on edge right now. We've got we've got hypervigilance coming at us from many different directions and right. you know media will jump on anything that's their job is to sure. jump on things and and we know working in conjunction with law enforcement that right yeah you you have to take any potential opportunity so so what we're referencing is that a couple of weeks ago there was basically a memo sent out to the US military before Joker opened um Warning saying, hey, essentially, don't take your family to go see Joker opening night. Um, There have been some threats. um, And essentially, it's sort of hearkening back to, I think a lot of the outrage before the threat and before this memo went out was that the families of the Aurora, Colorado shooting were concerned about this movie inciting violence. Because when that perpetrator decided to shoot up a movie theater showing a Batman movie. Essentially, he was sort of dressed as Joker, you know, green hair, a little bit of a painted face. Um, And so this was really touching a nerve with those families from that had um, family members who were victims in 2012. And there was a brief subset on the incel boards of clown cells because they were making assumptions that the backstory of the Joker was going to be that he was an incel, which is not supported by the narrative that they've generated for this storyline. So it's not, it's interesting how this all got twisted around and I'm I'm glad that we didn't jump on it because I like you and I are, are in the milieu where we're trained to look at threat assessment and, and make connections. And I'm glad that we didn't jump to it and feed, feed the fire as it were. So there there were some threats made. This memo was given out to the military saying, you know, maybe think twice about going to the movie theater this weekend. Um, opening weekend, uh, well, I think it was October 4th that the movie opened, um, a movie theater here in Southern California in Huntington Beach actually ended up shutting down because oh, yeah. the, the police did become aware of a what they called a credible threat in the late afternoon. Um, and decided to make a large presence at the movie theater where the threat was geared towards, even though it did not specifically mention Joker. Um, and then around seven o'clock, the movie theater just decided to close down for the night. So, you know, it, it impacted, but it, we talk about law enforcement having this presence and rising to really the call from the community to make them feel safe and not that they're overreacting or that we are saying, incels are you know gonna go commit acts of violence because of a movie that you know it's been proven time and time again of the myth that video games and entertainment incite violence in people movies depicting violence have been around for how long for a long time as so have, now that we just have a joker have movie books and yeah, all sorts or vigilante of movies right. and of all sorts um but yeah people were fearful so of course uh, law enforcement is going to to show a presence and make people feel like they're safe. So, um, so yeah, Joker was a fantastic movie. I think a lot of the dust has settled from all of that. Um, but 
I wanted to talk about an interesting piece of um, fear of clowns that happened not so long ago and kind of moving away from entertainment side a little bit, but sort of the the great clown panic of 2016. So, Which I'm still mystified by, so I hope you found some good research on this. Well, I, I, I found kind of what happened okay. because if you guys remember uh, like – Late summer of 2016, it was all over the news. Every seemed like there was more and more law enforcement agencies coming out saying that they were looking into these clown sightings or threats against children from just creepy clowns wandering the streets. That's how I remember sort of the soundbite. Um, so it all started in August of 2016 when a clown known as Gags the Clown was walking around Green Bay at two in the morning looking hella creepy with holding three black balloons in a tattered clown outfit fit and just sort of standing around. How the fuck did he not get shot? I don't know. Like, seri- I mean, and I, don't, I mean, yeah. actually mean that seriously, like. And not even from someone who wasn't being, you know, like, oh, this this clown is threatening me with these balloons, but that somebody that's don't threaten me with your balloons, yeah, you know, that's somebody <laughs> that's that's unbalanced, like, what right. the hell, boom, you know, like I just probably I'm, because he was the first one, but okay. it, it, people get there. Um, so later that night, um, this Facebook page goes up for Gags the Clown. I mean, it turned out it was a marketing campaign for a low budget horror movie. That's what kicked this all off. Okay. Um, but by late August, it, it spread throughout all over the nation. In so- South Carolina, people were shooting their guns into the woods after rumors were spreading that clowns were luring children into the woods. <laughs> so it's almost like the satanic panic of the 80s, right? It is almost mass hysteria. Wow. It really is bordering on that. Um, about this time... False reports start to roll in, and there were actually quite a few prosecutions for false reports of either being attacked by clowns or being threatened by clowns because it was starting to perpetuate the panic. And the cops were like, why are you coming forward with this? So they were prosecuting people that were coming forward with false reports. Um, August 3rd, there was the Penn State clown riot when 500 people, mostly college students, took to the streets with bats and different things. They were going to go attack the clowns that were luring children away. (laughs) You look up pictures of this and it's a bunch of like drunk, shirtless college students like, let's go get them. <laughs> I I'm just I'm just sitting here with you know bathing in incredulity. I mean I, I yeah. So th- there were there were so mass hysteria, mob mentality. Yeah, completely not a good combination. Completely. Um, there there were about a dozen arrests throughout the country for false reports, threats, or just chasing people. Um, primarily, this was in wait for it, Alabama. Um, Georgia, Maryland, New Jersey, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania all had sightings of clowns. And this was completely perpetuated um, through social media. Of course, it was like wildfire. Um, Numerous Facebook messages went out warning of creepy clowns that are going to be driving around in white vans. Of course, right? I mean, (laughs) come on. It should be ice cream trucks. Yeah, right. I know. Playing like really slow down warped. That's Ice how it was truck- in Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Oh, was it? <laughs> um, it? 
threatening violence at schools was something that was being passed around on on Facebook messages. These clowns were going to act out at schools. Um, A 16-year-old girl used a Facebook page called Caleb Clown and wrote about going to schools with a firearm um, and threatening schools in Alabama. Um, But yeah, some some mental health professionals at the time cited it as mass hysteria. Um, It was really interesting to look at other psychological explanations that people were offering at the time that, um, one, it was really easy to fake for attention to say, I just saw a sighting of something. Um, and this people's need to feel connected and to be a part of something that was national news. Well, since we're talking about Alabama, this <laughs> has probably it. been a decade. But on St. Patrick's Day, about a decade ago, there were supposed leprechaun sightings oh, all over <laughs> South Alabama. And the funny thing about it was that everybody they were interviewing – was so joyful. I mean, instead of like a mass panic where we're going to go kill the clowns, this was like, yeah, (laughs) that leprechaun's up in the tree. I know he's here. You know, they were like, and they were kind of, everybody was in on it. And the the reporter is laughing so much she can't even keep a straight face. But it was, I got to look that up. Yeah. It's kind of pretty funny. Leprechauns in Alabama. Yeah. I'm going to get me a pot of gold. So I think (laughs) is what he says. Um, There was one death linked to this, to an apparent clown hoax during this time Um, in Pennsylvania. Excuse me. A 16-year-old boy was fatally stabbed on a Sunday after a confrontation that may have been provoked by a prowler wearing a clown mask. What a dumbass. I know. I know. Um, So that same year, 2016, you and I and my sister, Molly, went to Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights. And so... As, as you guys may or may not know, so at Universal Studios, they have their, their backlot tram tour. So essentially, you get on this tram and they drive you through the backlots on a normal day So there, you would right? see like the the shark from Jaws. You would go right. through. You'd the see the psych. Square yeah. from. Um, many movies. Yeah, many yeah, movies. Because like, they, the the, they use a lot of the same sets over again. And, and it's even like it's a fraction of what it was. 60 years ago it was yeah. like just acres and acres of of towns and villages of sets yeah but and you go by the psycho house, house and the yeah. bates motel um and so during halloween horror nights usually that area is themed the first one i think i did was the walking dead and yeah. so you get off the tram you walk through the back lots and there's just zombies and it, it's really really cool so in 2016 the year that we went one of the years that we went um, the terror tram had a clown theme, and it was sort it was, of it was very clever. It was really clever. So when you get on the tram, you're on the tram for a little bit, and there's a, like a video loop. Playing. Like it's like a documentary almost, or a, is it a news broadcast? No, I think it was more documentary style. So they start setting it up for you, and they're telling you about. Koodles the Clown, who several decades ago, he had a kid's show that was filmed on the Universal Studios backlot. And so then they're showing black and white clips of the kids' shows, and the kids are like kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. And so then they talk about when negative attention starts coming down on the clowns in the 70s, his ratings start dropping. And he ended up being reduced to the park mascot at that point. So sort of out of a job. As far as his regular gig, not very popular. 
and eventually starts to become unstable, desperately trying to connect with tourists and visitors. And, and start creeping people out. Start creeping people out, and he gets banned from the park. And the legend is he walks off into the Hollywood Hills never to be heard from again. It so was really well done. It was really well done. It, it was really cool. And you're sitting there watching this. And, and you're, you're, it's almost like Blair Witch at this point because you're looking at like footage of people walking through the Hollywood Hills and you're finding like – Seeing little glimpses of him like Bigfoot. Like, like Bigfoot, <laughs> yeah. And then also like uh, deer remnants because we do have a, a lot of a wild deer population here in the Hollywood right. Hills. And so the you would see like going, a carcass, the deer yeah, are missing. The population is going down. So in 2016 – he reemerges permanently transformed into a psychotic killer clown now known as Hollywood Harry. And so that's what's sort of leading you up to, okay, time to disembark the tram and go out and no, walk No, it broke on. down. Oh, did it? Yeah. Was that the thing? That or they, oh, no, it was blocked because, remember, they have the fake police there. There were police cars uh, with, all this, with all the lights going off. And they had actors dressed as police. That's right. I forgot Drinking about that. coffee and eating donuts and kind of wandering around. And you're like, and they, the tram's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, the road is blocked. You're going to have to walk the to the next the segment. Way. And right. so then you have to run a gauntlet. Of just crazy clowns. Of crazy clowns lunging at you with huge rubber axes and mallets. And okay, do you remember the flasher clown? <laughs> <laughs> so there is this clown. There's all kinds of clowns that are, you know, creepy jumping out at you, all of that as you're walking through. And there is this one, and he's got this big old trench coat on. And he's, I think he was bald, and he had this like, yeah. little like party hat little tiny on tiny hat the on the top. this, like, kind of jauntily on and his head. And he would just jump in front of you and open his coat, and there was just a bunch of, were they dildos or, like, penises all over his body, right? Was it? Was it all, like, I thought it was entrails. Over? I thought he had, like, he was cut open. <laughs> oh, you might be right. God, okay, you okay. need to go to therapy because <laughs> you thought it was all. What the hell am I thinking about? Um... So, yeah, he comes over and he opens like he's flashing to you. And then it's like some gruesome scene. Okay, maybe I was wanting there to be lots of dildos. Could be. Yeah, I don't even want to go there. (laughs) But he was the flasher clown. So that was a lot of fun. I thought it was really cool that they played off of this mass hysteria that was going on and worked that into part of the, the ride. All right, that's killer clowns. Do you have anything else? I don't have anything else on clowns. Well, I wanted to go back because, you know, it's interesting because I love horror movies so much. Mm-hmm. And, but I don't, I think killer clowns was like really one of the only ones I saw on it. And like I was saying, I really liked um, Tim Curry's more than anybody else. Sure. But there have been a couple of, like, I'm not a. Like, I like Rob Zombie as a musician, which is really weird to say because apparently he's not great. But, like, I like his look and I like the, his, the, the music that he does. His movies are, like, um, hillbilly aesthetic. Right. And, I mean, for one or two, I thought were, like, really interesting. But then it just... I don't yeah. know. It just it's weird. But um he has Sid Hegg, who just passed away. Oh right. He um did. played uh, a killer clown in House of a Thousand Corpses that was really, really disturbing. A really disturbing clown. And then I wanted to mention that there was one that was a very interesting story from twenty fourteen. There's a movie called Clown that started out as a 
fake trailer Mm -hmm. about a guy whose kid uh, is having a birthday party. The clown doesn't show up. So the dad decides, I got, oh, I I think there's a clown costume in the attic. So he goes and he finds the clown costume in the attic and it's cursed. So he does it for the party, puts it on, and then he like can't get the nose off and the makeup comes off. (laughs) But he did this, so he did this trailer and as a joke, they put it on YouTube and they put in it that it was being produced by Eli Roth just as a joke. Okay. And then Eli Roth saw it and said, that's a good idea and actually produces no a horror way. movie. And it's actually like, it's such a dumb idea and it's really, really creepy. Like what they, the monster they turn him into is, is really quite that's scary. Cool. Um, and then what was the other one that was super good? I thought, oh, if you've ever seen the television show, was it the television show? No, it's it's a, the movie Shakes the Clown, Bobcat Goldthwait. This was, I think, 1991. The, the guy who is the voice of SpongeBob SquarePants, Tom Kenny, plays a, a like a children's show clown that's a cocaine addict and a murderer, <laughs> and it's funny and disturbing at the same time. Right. If you ever get a chance to see that, there's there's a lot of them. I mean, there was a John Wayne Gacy movie that starred the actor that played Pee-wee Herman's nemesis in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And it's not a good movie oh, because right. it's shot in California and it's supposed to be, you know, Midwest and it doesn't look Midwest. And it's sort of more atmospheric than anything else, um, yeah. which is too bad because he's a good actor and he it, it had the potential to be a really good movie, but I just nah. didn't think it was very good. But um, Who's your favorite clown? My favorite clown. Uh, it doesn't have to be scary, but I have to say, like as weird as it is, we were just in Vegas with a bunch of people uh, a couple of months ago, and we went to see O, which is an amazing, amazing Cirque du Soleil, Cirque du Soleil show that's all water effects, right? And you you can't freaking believe what they do. I mean, they're divers diving three stories into what you thought was a solid stage, which is now turned into a pool. And then you look one direction and suddenly it's a solid stage again. And then it's a pool and there's a house rising out and there are French court. I mean, it's amazing, but they had two clowns that are sort of the interstitial uh, transitional entertainment Mm -hmm. and they had minimal makeup on and they didn't use real words. They kind of, spoken gibberish right and it was some of the most amazing comedy i've ever seen it was really good so i feel badly that like they get a a bad shake but it's it's like the birthday clown my favorite will always be crusty the clown from the (laughs) talk about like chain smoking yeah (laughs) cocaine snorting clowns just and like anything to make a buck like we'll sell his name to anything totally what did we eat? Did we, did we got a crusty something when we were at Universal. I think we got a crusty burger or crusty beer. We went to Duff Beer last we, time and had beer. Yeah, we went to Moe's Tavern. Yeah. And got that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we did go to, to the Duff Beer Garden. Yeah. For sure. No, that's so awesome. Um, okay. I think that's it. Um I want you guys to listen after this episode. We're going to play the new trailer for the podcast Fool Me Twice. And the trailer is a few minutes long and it features Dr. Scott in it. I hope I sound okay. I was so (laughs) amped. That was the day we were all at the conference and we had not eaten. We were just flying on on like two gallons of coffee. Yeah. But Jules is wonderful and she's got a great story. And everyone really should should listen to this story because romance scams 
are a pox on our society. I think it's a good um, warning tale for sure. So make sure you guys give it that a listen um, after a promo at the end of this episode. And happy Halloween, everyone. Hope you are going to have fun and be safe out there. Happy Halloween. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time on LA. Not so. Confidential. Bye, folks. Bye-bye.